right, this week we're going to look at a, uh, another one of the allegories that God has given us through uh, some of the Old Testament law and the times um, before the time of Christ when he was teaching us something that he wanted us to understand so that when it was fulfilled in Christ, it would make more sense. You know, all down through the early um, patriarch time, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even as far back as Enoch and different ones that walked with God, we found that people would worship God. And there were certain things that seemed to be part of that worship. Maybe they would set up a stone or build an altar, uh, something to remember the experience they had with God and something to offer a sacrifice on. This was even before the law was given. Well, <clears throat> in the law, there was several things about worship that were uh, organized, if you will. He gave us a picture that uh, had specific parts uh, to what worship is and um, had them build a tabernacle in the wilderness and later a temple in Jerusalem. And it was laid out a certain way. And there were certain things they did uh, in the worship of God. Now, you can get lost in, which they did, the, uh, the details of what you're doing and not realize what you're actually doing is interacting with our Heavenly Father. So today we're going to look at the temple and what it tells us and uh, signifies that is fulfilled in Christ. Again, it's an allegory. It shows us something so that through this visualization, this picture, we can understand something a little better that's going on in the spiritual realm, something that uh, we are engaged in in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. All right, so the first thing they had to do, obviously, was they had to build this tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple later in Jerusalem. But then before that God would inhabit that temple, they would make a sacrifice uh, because the temple had to be cleansed. In Hebrews 9, 19 and following, it says this, Moses, and just excerpts out of the passage, Moses took the blood and sprinkled the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. The heavenly things themselves uh, will be cleansed with better sacrifices. Okay, so there was earthly things that needed to be cleansed, and they cleansed them with the blood of bulls and goats and things like that um, to signify something. And one passage says, it because of the flesh that was involved. You know, by works of the flesh shall no, flesh, uh, no one be justified before God. And our righteousness is like filthy rags. So it's not something humans can do. And so he took, if, if you will, the defilement of humanity, because we were all sinners, out of the temple or the tabernacle that was built by the cleansing of this blood, and he accepted it that way. Now, once the sacrifice had been uh, made, <clears throat> the temple and all of its parts and furniture and utensils and all that stuff had been cleansed, even the, the scroll, the book, was cleansed uh, of the covenant. It says that God moved in in Exodus 40. 33 through 35, it says, And he, Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So once the temple was cleansed, if you will, God moved in and made that his home. He was going to dwell among them, which was so profoundly different than what people had ever conceived about a God. You know, gods were always way off and up somewhere and mostly mad all the time. But he wanted to live with his people. And he said, I will make my tabernacle among you. And that's exactly what he did. So after the cleansing, God moved in. Now in the tabernacle, there were certain parts. Now we're going to go into all the details of it, but we're going to cover some broad ones today. Now what did they do in the tabernacle? Well, they worshiped God. They would do those things that um, would help them understand who God is and appreciate who he is. You know, there's, there's a great difference in those two things. Now, I can understand who someone is and not really appreciate them. Okay, but he wants us not just to understand who he is, but also appreciate or value who he is. <clears throat> One of the things in the tabernacle, now there were three big parts. There was the outer court, and then they moved into a small area that was divided into two areas. And the small area was comprised of the holy place and the holy of holies. And in the holy place, the priests would go in daily, and they had things they do they did every day to um, carry about, carry out the things that they were given to do as far as duties in representing the people before God. Because that's what priests do. They represent people before God. And so as they would go into this holy place, there was some furniture in there. Um, there was the golden table of showbread. In Exodus 25, 30, uh, 23, it says, You shall make a table of acacia wood, and its flagons and bowls uh, with which to offer drink offerings, and you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So there was, if there was a drink offering, it was on that table, and there was always to be bread on that table. You know, they, in the wilderness, they had manna. And uh, this is part of what it represented was the manna, the bread that God gives us. Another thing it says about that, it, that area, the holy place, is that there was a golden lampstand. He said, you shall, in Exodus 25, 31, it says, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. So there was a lamp. You've probably seen pictures of it. Uh, the Jewish menorah has seven branches. There's a central one and uh, three sets you know, three on each side, okay? And so there was lamp. There was a lamp in that room. In Exodus 30, it says you shall make an altar also, because there was the third piece of furniture in there was an altar of incense, a golden altar of incense. It says you shall make, in Exodus 30, it says you shall make an altar on which to burn incense, and you shall put it in front of the veil, which is above the Ark of the Testimony. You've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And in front of the mercy seat, that is above the testimony, that's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where I will meet with you. And he goes on and says, Aaron shall make an atonement on its horns once a year, and he shall make the atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement once a year throughout your generation it is most holy to the Lord. Okay, so you had this table of showbread. You had a golden lampstand. 
that was supposed to have light burning all the time, and a golden altar of incense. Now those are very important allegories, if you will. Those are metaphors of something he wants us to understand. You know, all down through, like I said, history, God has been doing things to give us a foreshadowing of something. I'll give you a quick example. In the wilderness, when they were grumbling against the Lord, which is sin, they would be, snakes came into the camp and began to bite the people. And they cried out to the Lord. So he had Moses set up a pole in the middle of the camp and put a bronze serpent on that pole. He said, if you look at that bronze serpent on the pole, you'll be healed of the snake bite. Well, the New Testament tells us this thing of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw in all men to myself. So the snake on the pole represents Christ dying on the cross. You say, well, why a snake? Wasn't he a lamb? Well, it says when Jesus died, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he literally became our sin hanging on the cross and crucified sin itself. So that's, a, that's another allegory. That's a picture he gives us of Jesus dying on our behalf, taking our sin away and healing us of what sin does to us, which is kills us. Okay? So if we go on with this thing about the temple... Uh, what does this signify for us to understand? What is all this temple or tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple in Jerusalem? What is that a picture of? Well, the New Testament tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read a passage to you out of Hebrews 9. Just some excerpts of it. It's Hebrews 9, 11 through 17. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of bulls or, or goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is only valid when men are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Now that's kind of a weird thing to say. I make a promise to someone, I don't have to keep it unless I'm dead. Well, Jesus died to validate and transfer the promise of that covenant to the recipients. Think of it this way. You know, we hear, we hear about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, where else do you hear the word testament used? Well, when someone dies, they read their last will and testament. What is that? That's a promise they made that my nephew, my son, my whoever, someone is going to receive something that was mine. But you know, they don't get it until I die, if it's my will, will and testament. Okay, so in order for the inheritance to be passed on to God's children, if you will, he had to die in order to pass it on. Now, I'll cover a lot of that later in greater detail in a lesson probably in the future. But it's just under it's good for us to understand that when Jesus died, that freed the resources of God to be given to us.
In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. So he actually conquered death. And so he did die. That freed up the resources of God to be passed on to the heirs, which is his children. And we are children of God through Christ. So we become a fellow heir with Christ. But because he actually conquered death, he rose from the grave with eternal life. Alive, he says, forevermore. So that the life he gives us is not one that will end. It's one that will last forever because we have his life within us. Again, if we go back and we mentioned Melchizedek a few weeks ago, the man that Abraham met after the defeat of the kings. And he said he was a priest of the Most High God. His name meant King of Righteousness. And he was the King of Salem, which was the King of Peace. Okay? And he said he was a priest, not on the basis of a physical requirement of the tribe of Levi or something like that. He was a priest on the basis of an indestructible life. And the God, God, our, God, our Father said that Jesus is a priest like that. Not because he was of the tribe of Levi. I mean, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. How could he be a priest? Well, he was a priest on the basis of an indestructible life. So that person, Melchizedek, was a foreshadowing of the coming Christ, who would be a priest forever, it says, after the order of Melchizedek based on an indestructible life, one that could not end. And it says things like, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is always speaking on our behalf before the throne of God, his Father and our Father. Now it says, you know, that the temple was cleansed by blood. Well, listen to this in Hebrews 9. Thus it was necessary for the copy of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. The temple, the tabernacle, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. So you see, ultimately, the tabernacle and the temple are pictures of what's actually true in heaven itself. And we are a picture of that. To appear in the presence of God, let me pick up again, on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with, with blood not his own. For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Jesus had to die over and over again, but he only did it once. But as it is, he has appeared once at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. His blood had power that the blood of animals could never accomplish. You know, next session, next week, we'll talk about the human timeline seven to show where we enter into this whole picture as human beings. All right, so once the temple is cleansed, that's us. He comes in, he cleanses this temple through the blood of his sacrifice then we become inhabited by God. You know, it's like God moved into the tabernacle after it was cleansed. 
God moves into us after we're cleansed. 1 Corinthians 9, 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. All right, so we are, we are purchased. We are his holy habitation. John 16, 7 says, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of the fact that he's going to send the Spirit after he leaves to live inside the cleansed temple of our body. You know, last week, we'll look at it again real briefly, that, that slide about how man was connected to God at creation and separated from him with sin, but then later at rest when he was restored to relationship with God, the difference was the Holy Spirit moves inside. And that's the whole point. We are becoming, Peter says, like living stones being built into a holy habitation for God. All right, so what happens in this temple? Well, the same thing happened in the other one. We worship and glorify God. We partake of the living bread. You know, there's a table of show bread. In Exodus um, 16, 15, it says, when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's what the word manna means. What is it? For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, so they had manna in the wilderness, and they said, Oh, what is it? They didn't know what it was, but God was giving them bread to eat. Well, in John 6, 57-58, Jesus said, As the living Father has sent me, and because of the Father, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will, live also, he will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the that the fathers ate and died. For whoever feeds on this bread himself will live forever. So that man in the wilderness was an allegory. It was a picture that God was going to send living bread to us. Well, Jesus is that bread, and that's what we do. We partake of him. Daily, you know, it says we man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, Jesus is the Word of God. It says in First John or John chapter one. What else happens when we worship God? Well, we're enlightened by the light of Jesus. John one one through nine says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the true light, which coming into the world, enlightens every man." So Jesus enlightens us. How? Because he lives inside by his spirit. He was, he was there to guide us into all truth. It tells us in John. What else goes on in that place when we're worshiping God? We're feasting on him and his word. We're being enlightened by his spirit to what the truth is. Well, we offer prayers. It's a conversation. He enlightens us and we ask questions and he explains things to us. It's a relationship. In Revelation 5, 8, it says, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So that altar of incense in there signifies us talking to God and processing the things he's enlightening us with as we feast on his word. Getting to know him for who he really is. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we're trying to tell God what we think and feel, most of the time we don't even know how to say it right. Well, the Holy Spirit is taking that and understanding that. And God knows what you think. He knows what you feel. He knows what you're struggling with, what you want to understand, and where you're still a little clueless or deceived. He understands all of that, and the Spirit of God, and God the Father and God the Son are in this together to bring us to maturity. Like I said, next time we'll talk about the human timeline and how we enter into that and begin to walk in that. But that's, that's that little, I showed you last week, a little flashlight. That's that light shining. The, the Spirit of God in us, the power of God living in us enlightens us, and we begin to glow with His light, and the people around us begin to see His light. All right, I love you all, and I'll talk to you next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. You promised you would not. That you came back immediately in the form of your spirit to inhabit us the moment we believed in Christ. So we didn't have to wait days, weeks, months, years, decades until we die to be connected, to be united with you. Thank you that in this tabernacle, this temple that you've given us, our spirit, soul, and body, inhabited by your spirit, that we can get to know you through your word, that we can have conversations with you, that you will tell you what's on our heart, you will enlighten us with your truth. And in that, we will know you and understand you more and more and trust you more and more so that when we live our lives, it's your life being lived through us. You're so amazing. Thank you for your grace that has brought us into this. We pray in Christ's name.